Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Burnout, insomnia, overwork, anxiety, and so many more terms that describe what it's like to be stressed out by your work. Now, everyone experiences work stress at some point or another in their careers. Understanding it can help you to have better responses as well as prepare yourself for it before it becomes an issue. In this episode, we're going to discuss dealing with stress in the workplace. We'll look at stressors developers face, what employers do about it, and some general tips to help prevent and mitigate stress at work. But before we get started, Will, what's been stressing you out this week? Well, I kind of messed up my back last week. We had to get the refrigerator repaired because the ice machine was leaking and wasn't really leaking. It was like uh, there's there's a place where the water goes and it was getting out of that and dripping down through the door and freezing. And it froze all the way down into the freezing unit underneath. And at some point that got enough ice that it actually pushed that freezing unit open a little bit, which meant, meant that the motor overworked, which meant that stuff in the main fridge was freezing. And so when the Sears technician came out here, he's like, yeah, we got to get everything out of this and move it downstairs. And so I was able to do it during my lunch break, but it was mostly running up and down a flight of stairs with a cooler full of stuff to put it in the garage fridge. And I was completely fine as far as like, you know, 90 pounds of crap in my hands, you know, going down the stairs coming in. But I didn't think to, you know, basically make sure my spine had had a minute or so to, to relax after I set something heavy down before I started twisting and, you know, putting stuff in the fridge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I got nailed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just about dropped me in the floor and, uh, it's not too bad now. It's kind of like the achiness has gone away. I've I've done some stretching. I've done some like light uh, kettlebell stuff, but you know, nothing too bad. Um, and pull-ups have helped a bunch, but man, it, it it messed me up. I guess, uh, in, other news, I Saturday, my daughter did not know where she wanted to go eat, and I suggested going to the Uzbek restaurant here in town. So we get there, and we're like right there as soon as the door opens. And the waitresses, I guess, were not ready yet, but the owner was out front, but he doesn't speak English. But we were able to order. Nice. And I was not particularly stressed. I was so happy. That you know, somebody's learning one of the languages he speaks. So we also got some uh, baklava after. That was uh, that's pretty good. Uh, my daughter had never had that before for some reason. So never had baklava. She, yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> I am surprised. I am like legitimately surprised. I mean, I've brought it home before, but I'm I'm guessing that it disappeared before she saw it, or she ate it and didn't know what it was. That's more likely what it is. Or she was given it and was being stubborn and didn't want to try it. She went through a few periods there, you know, when she was eight or nine, kind of like that, where it's just, she wouldn't try something. Even It's like, it's dessert. Like, why don't you try a dessert? Whatever. So that was, that was fun. So how about you? 
Uh, so I had my first private lesson on the worship team last week. That was awesome and challenging. I can tell I'm going to grow fast here as they are pushing me, but not in a stressful way. Like it, it's sort of this inspiring thing and it makes me want to spend basically it makes me want to spend time doing those boring exercises that I don't enjoy doing because they're literally just, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again to train your muscle memory. Yeah. But it like just that that first private lesson where like it wasn't, oh, you're coming in to learn general guitar. It was you're coming in to learn for the purpose of getting on stage. And so like, I don't know, it just it was a different kind of motivation. And so since then I've actually spent you know, a lot of time on my guitar, just doing the boring stuff, still playing some, you know, songs and stuff, the fun things I enjoy doing, but definitely have, have done that. Went and saw Dune Friday night after group. It was really good. A lot of people I talked to were upset that it was only part one. Honestly, I'm really glad they broke it up uh, into multiple parts so that they could get as much as they did in there. It's not a thick book, but it's a dense book. Like there's a lot yeah. going on in there and they still left out a lot of stuff and no spoilers. So I'm not going to say that though. I will say there were uh, some shout outs to the more serious fans. You know, those who have, those who have read the books and it was kind of like, yeah, they, they left some stuff out from the main plot of the movie. While I was disappointed not to see some of those things, the shout outs was kind of nice. Cause it was like, Hey, it's, we didn't forget or ignore this. It's just, you know, we only had so much time. So here's a shout out to this aspect or that aspect. Well, it's good that they, I mean, it's not like they stretched it like the Hobbit movies. Although yeah. I, I feel like those aged a lot better than I thought they were going to. But that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it was it was good. Uh, definitely worth seeing. Uh, just know it. it's fairly accurate. I really like the way they portrayed the Harkonnens. This is probably this movie was probably my favorite portrayal of them. They weren't as gross as the uh, the original. I hope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the one and, guy that looked like a spare from Austin Powers, and and the <laughs> um, casting was just great. Like Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. Oh my goodness. Oh man, such now I'm gonna great have to casting. see it. Yeah, like it, they did such a great job. Yeah, like every every character I saw. Now I knew Jason Momoa was in there. But like every character I saw, I was like, oh my goodness, the casting is perfect for this. It was so good. That'll make the second book whenever they do that one work better too. Yeah. Yeah, it will. So yeah, it, I mean, it, it was, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And if you, you go in expecting a movie adaptation of the book, you'll enjoy it too. The, the miniseries, the sci-fi miniseries was a little bit more accurate to the book. Yeah. But I will say this, uh, the, the, the thopters, the thornicopters. Yeah. Exactly the way I imagined them in my head. And like nice. they did such a good job in my opinion on that. That was my, one of my favorite things when I saw that. Yeah. So like I said, there's a lot of good about that movie and it's one that I will definitely watch again. And finally, I got to be a model Sunday afternoon. My friend and uh, photography mentor is doing a series that she's calling Portraits with a Voice. 
And so I get to be one of the models for it, or I got to be. And then she asked me to do sort of a write up a short statement to go with my photos. It was a lot of fun because it wasn't just me being a model. Like it was her explaining to me what she was doing the whole time because she was also training me as a photographer while I was being a model. <laughs> nice. So it was it was a lot of fun. She uh, she wanted to go for sort of a grungy look and specifically asked me to wear my leather vest, which, by the way, is way too big for me now. Oops. Yeah. So I, I like I put it on. I was like, um, and this is Sunday right after church. I come home. I grab, you know, gathering my stuff. I put my vest on. I'm like, um, so I sent her a text. I'm like, hey, do you have one of those giant paper clips or something? Because I'm just going to need something to pin this up in the back for the shoot. And she's like, I'll manage something. I'll have, I like, um, we can make it work. So the thing is, she's not from around here. So she didn't know like locations. So do you remember Panther Creek, uh, the yeah. brewery we went to? Yeah. So I suggested there because like it's kind of a little, little industrial there, but it's also right by the train tracks, right off the greenway. So you got some overpasses. Like there's all sorts of different looks and it's isolated ish. Too. Like not mm-hmm. super isolated, but like it's as isolated as you're going to get in a city. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the best way to describe that. But yeah, I know what you mean. Industrial on a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Panther Creek is closed on Sundays, too. So I knew we could park in their parking lot and there wouldn't be a bunch of people around and stuff like that. And yeah, we um, it was it was a lot of fun and perfect for what she wanted. Well, there are several different places. I think we. We did four different locations just around that building for the shoot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the photos. And I, I want to go back with my camera and a model and do some stuff there too because there are some things that we didn't do that I noticed. I'm like, ooh, I want to I do this with someone else because that would be really cool. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. You're not going to ask me to be a model, are you? No, no. <laughs> That's good. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to anyone. Go out there rocking the dad bod. I mean, we could make it work. It would actually look really cool because I can. I can work with you on that if you want. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> saving money is hard, especially when you're too stressed about work to even look at your bank account. Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but take action on that plan so that you can live your best life. Yeah, and if, you know, since we're talking about reducing stress, one way to do that is to invest in financial planning services that actually pay for themselves. And Lucas helps you do that. The compounding impact of making better financial decisions will pay for itself. What's really cool is Level Up has a unique pricing model that is designed to help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So if you're just starting out, he has a pricing model for you. If you've been doing this for quite a while and you're looking at, hey, I need to start preparing for retirement, he has a pricing model designed for you. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. So guys, you can check out his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp where he covers financial topics that you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their careers. You can also learn a lot more at his website, levelupfinancialplanning.com. This topic comes from a listener request made on Twitter. 
Mina states, my name is Mina and I'm a mid-level back-end developer. I really love your podcast. Now it's my main podcast. Could you give us tips on how to deal with work stress and how to be a more productive, high-quality developer? Thanks. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Mina. We don't know much about HQ development, but can definitely talk to workplace stress and how to deal with it. So I'm it's assuming H- by H- HQ is not high quality. It meant something else. Yes. Okay. Well, we can still roll forward with it because that's just me being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> All right. Dictionary.com defines stress as a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. Workplace stress happens when your work environment or tasks become so demanding that you experience mental or emotional turmoil due to the circumstances. Sometimes you are able to control or influence the demands that are causing stress in the workplace. However, most of the time, you don't have control over them, and that causes even more stress as you're not able to see an end to these demands. In this episode, we're going to discuss stress in the workplace for developers. We'll start by looking at some common causes of stress for developers. Then we'll look at how employers both mitigate and exacerbate stress for developers. Finally, we'll discuss a few general tips for dealing with stress in the workplace. And then in the aftercast, we're going to talk about recognizing stress in others, um, your coworkers, people who work under you, that sort of thing, and then how you can deal with stressed out employees. So if you're leading a team, things you can do, or if you're a coworker, some things that you can do to help them. So first off, talking about common causes of stress for software developers. And the first and most obvious one is that technology and services update far too quickly uh, for a lot of people to deal with. Now, this is one of the most exciting aspects of working in technology. You know, that rapidity of change does mean that there's always new opportunities. But when this occurs too quickly, it can induce stress because developers do have to learn new functionality, sometimes just to get their application to work. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be really annoying when you spend a couple of months working on something and then you find out that, oh, we were using this older version of an API and now it's deprecated and we have to go in and change all this stuff just to get the application to work. Not that that's ever happened to either one of us. Not this week. Yeah. (laughs) It is only Tuesday though. Um, Actually, I take that back. That's not true. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, I got burned on something earlier this week, uh, yesterday. Well, see? (sighs) Yeah. Technological changes and updates can typically be mitigated by staying on an older version. However, if you stay too long, the cost to update becomes very high. We had an entire episode about that, uh, what, last week? I think. Uh, No, two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. Stress uh, comes when changes and updates are so frequent that you can't keep up and run the risk of deprecated technology if you stay too long on an older system. And I'm sure Will has plenty to say about staying too long on older systems. Well, I did a podcast episode on it, so that's a yeah. 
Even more stressful than technology stack changes are when services that you're consuming update too frequently with breaking changes. Uh, if possible, you you know kind of want to find a different provider who performs a similar service but doesn't update with breaking changes as frequently. But you may not actually be able to control that. So the next common cause of stress is a lack of or changing acceptance criteria. Not that we've ever faced that either. Yeah. Most of these come from my own personal experience, just to be honest with you. You can't successfully build something if you don't know what you are building. However, it's very easy to get pressured into starting a project or task without knowing all the details. Yeah, or they don't tell you. Yeah, I think I've told this story several times on the podcast, but when I was working as a junior developer, I got pulled from my team onto another one who was really struggling. The place I was working, they were they just converted over to Scrum, and this team was just like, they were just struggling and struggling and struggling. And so since my team was so successful and I'd gone through the Scrum Master training and had some previous experience with Agile before I started, they asked me to to come in and help out. And one of the first things I noticed was they were like they were committing to stories before the acceptance criteria were finished. Yeah. And I put an immediate stop to that. And they started like started getting some pressure from the business analyst scrum master. I was like, no, we cannot do that. We cannot build that until there are acceptance criteria. And you cannot change the acceptance criteria once we get started. A friend of mine referred to that as, you know, being married to the story because you know you're in there for better or worse and you don't know what's going to happen it's like do you want to marry the story no i don't want to marry the story okay then like get the acceptance criteria in order yeah yeah when you don't have complete and specific uh, acceptance criteria then you may be building something amazing that doesn't fit the needs of the customer your acceptance criteria should be s-m-a-r from smart you know, like a smart goal, uh, you know, the time bound doesn't necessarily make sense here. I was really hoping you'd say smar. <laughs> smar. <laughs> Sounds like some like Bond villain club. Smar. Yeah. <laughs> Who throws a shoe? <laughs> really? <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> Another cause of stress related to acceptance criteria is when they're in a state of flux while you're developing. That's what we were, we were just talking about earlier. Once developers have committed to a task, the acceptance criteria should be locked. And if something needs to be changed, then there need to be a new task created for that change. Um, unless it is such a drastic change that development needs to stop on that. Yeah, this is something that's hard even if you're used to this, right? Because like at my work, for instance, they're, they're like, nope, that goes in a bug or you know, that goes in a defect or it goes in a new story. It's not going to be added to the scope. It's like, but it's just a couple hours of work. It's like, yeah, but we're not doing that. Yeah, because a couple of hours of work is, now, yeah, it never stays just a couple of hours of work. Yeah, well, it's it's a couple hours of my work, not... All the overhead that goes with it, all the QA, all the changes to documentation. Like, I understand it, but it is still hard to remember that that's a bad idea. So, the next one is inflexible or constantly changing deadlines, uh, which is also something that BJ and I have never experienced in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please note the biting sarcasm. <laughs> deadlines are actually the bane of existence for 
many, if not most, software development shops. Uh, Very rarely do any of them consider the unexpected things that occur when developing or the reliance on third-party services that may not integrate well or uh, that may just fail and affect development. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that doesn't get taken into effect very easily. Yeah. And and people who aren't developers don't think about it. Yeah, and, and by the way, when you say they're not developers, like, they have to be recent developers, right? Like, if you did stuff on Vax in the 80s and you stopped developing, I don't care what you think about development right, right now because your, your, your opinion is irrelevant with the security and integration landscape that we have right now. I mean, it, it just it doesn't, it doesn't work. Inflexible deadlines are ones that cannot be changed no matter what happens. And these cause developers to work excessive amounts of overtime as the deadline approaches so as not to miss said deadline. The way a company handles missed deadlines will also influence stress level of developers. I worked with a guy, or worked for a guy, that would basically call us into the conference room and scream at us when you know deadlines got missed. And he was, I, I swear he was like five foot one. And so like the top of his head looked like a tomato to me. I was just looking at it, just, uh, but that was the approach. And that was, that was a super duper stressful environment. Um, I've also worked at places where they would miss deadlines and they were just completely blase about it. And it's like, why did you even tell me there was a deadline? Right? Like, so both ends, like the opposite of crazy is still crazy here. Yeah. Well, it's like you're driving down a road and there's ditches on both sides. You get too far one side or too far the other, you're going to be in the ditch. You want to stay kind of in the middle. So the other side, speaking of that, um, of this is deadlines that are in a constant state of flux, just like what was talking about. Um, well, not exactly constant state of flux, but uh, this can be more stressful than inflexible deadlines because you never know if you have a week or two days or a month to build something. Because it's changing all the time. These encourage developers to rush and cut corners because they have to be done at any given point or suffer consequences. Now, it is okay to push deadlines back as needed, uh, especially if like new things come up or if there are delays that are unexpected. But only do that when necessary or else, like Will was saying, the deadlines just sort of become pointless. Yeah, and pulling them forward has to happen sometimes too, right? Like there's regulatory stuff or or whatever. But what you can't do is constantly, like giving people uncertainty makes people stressed. Yeah, and one thing I didn't think about when you said regulatory, it reminded me of this. I know of one place that uh, they had five years to make changes. Based on legislation, so you're saying the week before they told the devs, six months they gave they gave okay. the devs wow. six months. That's yeah, impressive. Yeah, top of the line right there. No, and that was a stressful situation for those developers. I was not one of them, but uh, but I, I had friends who were, and so I, I remember hearing about it. Uh, another common issue is scope creep. So scope creep happens when either your deadlines for a project change or new requirements are added during development, but the deadline is not adjusted to match the workload of adding those requirements. Uh, There are two ways to handle scope creep that do not induce stress and a lot of them that uh, induce more stress. 
So the first way to mitigate the stress of scope creep is to move the deadline of the project back to address the new requirements. Really, this is kind of the ideal approach for adding new requirements once development has started. You know, and in it's not a true agile fashion because, you know, there's no deadlines in agile. So, but we live in a real world where there are deadlines and people still want to do agile. So, yeah. Yeah. The other way to handle scope creep that doesn't induce as much stress is to remove a requirement or set of tasks if something is added and the deadline can't be altered. So, you know, basically you have a kind of a three legged triangle. You know, it's like you, you either have feature set quality or timeline. And, you know, presuming that you're not cutting quality, you've got two legs of that triangle left to work with. And if you don't work with it by default, the developers will take the other leg. Yeah. They'll sweep the leg. So the, the last common cause of stress for developers we're going to talk about is developers themselves, or more specifically, their attempts or our attempts, because you and I have done some of these, to mitigate stress. And realistically, there's so much under this, it could be its own episode. These are just a few of the common ones to give you an idea. Yes, I put it on the Kanban board, so Good. it's there for us. So, Didn't want to stress you out. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And the first one is probably the most obvious that everybody tries to do, and that is multitasking. It's the mistaken concept that you can do multiple things at the same time. Most people attempt this because they think it saves time, but uh, what ends up happening is that most of the tasks are not done as well. They're, you know, they're like, you can't do it at full capacity. And most times you have to fix them later as opposed to what would happen if you were doing them separately and actually focusing. Yeah. Now, and I used to be really bad about this one and I, I still am sometimes where I will, uh, I will try to be working on stuff while I'm in a meeting or work on like two things at once when they're not critical or they're not development related, they're more like, you know, filling out this thing that I need to fill out or timesheets and stuff while I'm sitting in a meeting that I'm not actively involved in that sort of stuff. I don't really do that very often because I'm not in very many meetings where I'm not actively involved. So, yeah, I would, I'm kind of mixed on that. Like working during a meeting when you're not involved, like there's times that it's multitasking and it's times that it's a, uh, it's a medical term, analgesic. (laughs) Just makes the the meeting less painful to be stuck in. So it kind of depends on why you're doing it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I can, I can follow But you still have to check your work after you get out, right? Like you don't trust it. It's just. Yeah. Well, developers who are not able to say no to requests will find that they overcommit and can't possibly complete all the tasks they take on in addition to their regular work. This is basically saying yes to everything. Uh, The trick here is learning to discern when to say no and when you really should say yes. And usually that discernment comes after making quite a few mistakes. Now, cutting corners when you develop will lead to technical debt because if you don't have time to do it right the first time, you're not going to have time to fix it because fixing it is harder. Similarly, ignoring minor bugs or issues when you see them may seem like a way to get by and speed stuff up. 
you know, it may be something you try to do to reduce pressure, but those bugs have a way of growing when you're not paying attention to them. They do. And it's annoying how they do that. All right. So now we're going to talk about employers and companies and how they can either exacerbate or mitigate stress in the workplace. Yeah, and probably the first point is the size and age of the company really impacts how it handles stress. You know, you have companies that are everything from a, you know, one or two person shop up to just these massive, you know, places like Amazon. And the size of the company will have an effect on how much stress is involved for the developer who works there and what sort of stress, like what vector it comes in on. Yeah. Now, typically your your smaller, like your startup companies will be high stress environments because you know they're establishing a product in the industry or they're creating an industry around their product. You see a lot of that in technology too. And they often try to mitigate this by offering fun work environments. And we'll talk about that in a little bit when we talk about some of the things that companies do to try and mitigate stress that are not helpful. Uh, Will's smiling because he, he knows where we're going with that. And that can make it more stressful to work than less because you're not really able to have fun because you're so busy wearing like 12 different hats. And larger corporations have a different type of stress that typically manifests as bureaucracy or red tape. They may have your computer, for instance, uh, so locked down that you can't install the tools that you actually need to do your job, though they do typically have some awareness that burnout is a thing. And they try to have programs in place for reducing stress and avoiding burnout. You know, and a lot of those kind of, they they tend to work out to be like, hey, you got to take your vacation days um, at a minimum. I had a friend tell me he he got, uh, in trouble is not the right term, but just sort of like told off, I guess, would be the right right term maybe, for installing his personal account of a uh, design tool. He's a front-end developer. But because he wasn't classified as a designer, he wasn't like... Oh, he wasn't allowed to have it? Yeah. And so he was like, all right, well, I'll just use my... Like, I have a personal license from my own like side business. So I just use that. Yeah, they get mad about that quick, too. They do. Because the BSA um, will get them. Yeah. So he, he got in trouble for that. But then he was like, okay, well, you're expecting me to do the work of a designer, but you won't give it to me because I don't have the job title. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing with with the larger companies and stuff like that. Now, another thing that influences your work stress is the industry. And that makes a difference in how stress is handled. Some industries are high stress, where elevated levels of stress are expected, whereas others are low stress industries. Um, and you're not working a lot of overtime. You're not expected to be on call, that sort of thing the type of work you do can have an impact on the level of stress you have at your job. Yeah, Companies in high-stress industries have programs in place to address work stress. Stuff like scheduling downtime for teams where they have a reduced workload, you know, basically a deloading phase, or allowing them to work on technical debt for a time. Like where, where I work, it's not a super high-stress industry, but we still have this sort of thing. It, we're actually doing it right now this week where it's uh, 
we call it lab days because we can work on whatever we want, either side projects or I'm reading a book yeah. um, on leadership. And that's perfectly acceptable. Of course, it's also part of my performance plan to read this book because I wanted to read it and I got to help write my performance plan. Yeah. So I've got a few things on mine for the same kind of deal. Yeah. And, it's like, we, and it, it, it benefits me at work. Like I've already gained, I'm like almost halfway through the book and I've already gained so much that I've used already. So. Yeah. And we have the same kind of structure with ours, even though we're super low stressed. It's probably the least stressful job I've ever had. I get that. Which uh, is interesting if you're used to stress, but that's a whole yeah. other. That makes sense. Yeah. Low stress industries, speaking of which, don't tend to have to have stress reduction built into their processes because they expect that if there is a little bit of extra stress, it will be temporary. So a good company, like the places where Will and I work, will have those built in even though they are not high stress. But a company that, you know, may not think that way doesn't may also think we don't need this because the stress is only going to be temporary. Yeah. Or we're paying you enough that you should be able to mitigate the stress yourself. That's true. I've heard that. Which is why they're, you know, most of their employees are alcoholics when they do that, but whatever. Yeah. Industries with a medium amount of stress are where companies really tend to have problems though. Uh, the stress may be intermittent or it may be a low level over a long period of time. And these companies typically, typically do not have policies to reduce stress like the higher stress industries so their employees basically suffer from stress on a continual basis and this you know very much uh, resembles a place i worked at uh, a couple years ago yeah more than that wow yeah that has been a while (laughs) yeah so now we're going to talk about some ways that employers can actually exacerbate stress in the workplace the environment in which you work has a significant impact on your daily stress level. Some work environments, such as open office spaces, may do well for roles like sales or other highly collaborative positions. However, they can be extremely stressful for developers who have to be able to concentrate and focus for extended periods of time. Yeah, and some managers, especially the ones that don't have a recent background in technology, will try to improve performance by promoting competition between developers and teams. While a friendly competition can be really good for improving morale, it's really easy to take this too far and become straight up cutthroat. And this not only increases stress, but it causes teams to not work together because that will be helping the enemy. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's something like, because you want your teams to celebrate each other's successes yeah. But you you might do something like the first team to to reach some some goal gets a pizza party. Everybody's invited to the pizza party, but that team gets to go through the line first and they get like, you know, so everybody's celebrating their success with them, but there's still that fun competition to see who gets to win. Yeah, I like how you said something from the 2010s. Because like nobody's in the office anymore. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. Well, what can I say? I just, have a pizza you know, party. We got you some Totinos. We shipped it out to your house. <laughs> you can microwave <laughs> it, but you know the the winning team gets to microwave theirs first. I don't know, dude. Yeah, I know it's kind of hard to it's hard to talk about it with everything going on. We're still, we're, we're still figuring stuff out, but 
I mean, we we do some some games and stuff like geolocator and stuff like that. So, you know, or the the best, honestly, the best competitions that I have seen, friendly competitions uh, between employees or between teams, have been when it wasn't a, like a managerial. Hey, we're going to like set up this fun competition. It was all right when you reach this goal, you get this reward. And so amongst ourselves, we had this little competition to see who could get there first. Yeah. Or where you decide that, hey, you know, everybody on this team is going to chip in and mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, go do something fun when we hit this milestone. Yeah. Because I worked at one company where it's like, hey, you know, we're just going to go out for sushi, you know, go to a decent, you know, like a good sushi place, not the little crappy dive bar sushi place that we were going to, but like the nice one. And we're going to take a two and a half hour lunch. You know, it was something we worked on for six months to get to that milestone. And then, yeah, I went and foundered on sushi. Oh, I bet. I know. I've been there when you've done that before. Not cheap either. But um. (laughs) so finally, under this employers that have a go to person for handling issues with a certain product or a certain part of the system are basically creating knowledge silos that cause other developers to stress out if that person isn't available. And it also prevents that person from doing anything newer or exciting. So it stresses them out. Legacy applications, um, as we, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, are notorious for this as they're difficult to maintain as the industry changes, causing the developers who maintain them a lot of extra stress. Yeah. And it's also fun when you are the go-to person for all the things because you know, you're working at a small company and they don't trust a lot of the other people. And so you get handed everything and you're still expected to produce just like you were. Um, I've been in that one a couple of times. That is definitely no fun. You're, you're better off being thought of as lazy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Now, there are some ineffective ways that companies attempt to mitigate stress and they, these don't work. First of all is the work hard, play hard mentality. This is really prevalent in the startup culture. Uh, and there are companies that are bigger that do this too, that ought to know better and they don't. But a lot of times this will involve, you know, doing things like staying late, working overtime for weeks or months, and then going out and partying when the job is done. The trick here is how you define working hard and playing hard. If you work hard on the clock, then how you play is kind of your own business. But a lot of these companies will be like, well, we're going to take away all your social and personal life for six months. And then we're going to, you know, we're going to go bar hopping, you know, on some Friday night. And that's going to be your reward. Oh, by the way, you pay for your own drinks and, you know, your, you know, your family's sitting at home again while you party. Yeah. And that's, and then you get looked down upon if you don't want to go bar hopping because, you know, you're not a team player. Right. I, I, I I get that. Um, Yeah, because I love I love having the first day off I've had in months be consumed by a hangover. That's just my favorite thing. And you know, I I guess for for guys right out of college, like women right out of college too, that's fine. Yeah, if they want if they want that. But when you're pushing forty and you're still doing that, uh, yeah, but a little bit different. It's it's not the the culture, and it's fine to have a work hard on the clock. And then, like you said, uh, you guys rewarded yourself. You worked hard for six months and then you went out for sushi. You know? And, and that's that's a work hard, play hard mentality. 
I I work hard on the clock, but I also get to take uh, longer lunch breaks, uh, usually about an hour and a half to two hours. Still get my full day's work in, but you know I usually go to the gym. Today I got to go to uh, over to church and learn about setting up lights for doing videography. <coughs> so that was really cool. Along the same lines of work hard, play hard, are companies who think that having some fun things like video games, ping pong tables, that sort of stuff in the workplace will allow developers a chance to unwind during the day. This is not the case as most of these places don't tolerate developers taking time um, or the deadlines are so tight that developers can't get away to use these. They end up becoming more of a distraction as the people who are trying to work are distracted by the few golden employees who are allowed to play. Yeah, I one of the things that I look at as a red flag on a job site, like if I get to walk in and, and take a tour, is if I see a foosball table in the development area, that's like three red flags. I'm not going to work there because I've had so many bad experiences because that's a really loud game anyway. And it, you'll you'll end up with that like the there'll be people that know the boss or that know the owner or have some connection to a higher up that, you know, the boss's kid or the boss's kid's best friend or whatever. And they will be obnoxious on that thing when you're trying to focus so that you can get out of there by five. Cause you got to, you know, like I don't want to spend time on foosball at the office. I want to get done and I want to go home. And those people will make that where that is impossible. And so, yeah, I totally, if I see a foosball table in the development area, that's a that's a hard no for me. So mandatory time off might seem like a good thing. However, for a lot of developers, it can be stressful as they're not able to leave the work at the office and end up carrying it with them even if they're not doing anything. Like even if they're on vacation and they don't have their laptop with them, they're still like ruminating and stewing over it. It can also force them to take vacation at inopportune times in the process of development of your project. Yeah, it's especially fun right at the end of the year when everybody burns all their PTO. Um, and a lot of times it's not because they want to. It's just, hey, I have to use this or I lose it. And yeah. you know, if you're trying to get stuff done for first quarter next year, you might really rather have those people in the office. And, and that's a pretty common dynamic. I mean, I've got I think right now I've got like six or seven days I've got to burn by the end of the year. And working from home also, you know, puts a weird spin on this too. But yeah, the 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 mandatory time off sounds great in theory, but uh, if your environment is already stressful, it just it it doesn't help. So the uh, the last thing we're going to talk about for companies is the effective ways that they mitigate stress. A surprising way to decrease or mitigate stress at work is by encouraging education. Allowing developers to learn and grow will help them not feel trapped in their job. Taking developers to conferences is a great way to get a fun little trip in with that education. It also gives a break from kind of the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, and speaking of the day-to-day, -day, also addressing technical debt will reduce the stress that developers have um, you know, because it, well, it allows the employer to focus on building new things without having to worry about the older stuff not integrating or working. But for the developer, 
they're not sitting there going, okay, what part of our code is going to bite us in this estimate? Like, what did we not think of that it's going to get us? Now, the most effective way for a company to reduce stress on their developers is to have realistic timelines and expectations of the development process. Accurate estimation is near impossible. However, understanding that some things may take longer and accounting for unforeseen issues as well as being able to adjust the timeline if needed, goes a long way toward helping developers work in a low-stress environment. So now, guys, we're going to quickly go through some general tips for dealing with stress at work. And the very first one is probably one of the most important ones, and that is have a routine for starting your day off right. Uh, For a lot of us, Mornings are the most stressful time of day. Uh, they have more to do than, you know, it, it seems like there's time to do it in. And everything has to be done right now. A morning routine will help you get all the important tasks done in a timely manner because you've got this routine to go through that you do every single day. Yeah, and also having a set way in which you start your workday will allow you to be productive before the coffee or other caffeine source kicks in. And this may be as simple as a list of things like checking email and entering timesheets or as complex as actually scheduling the tasks that you're going to do that day. Like I have, I have a process when I come in, like when I sit down at my desk of I organize my desktop, I, you know, put the things where they belong and then check my email, check Slack, and check the Kanban board. Like in that order. And that's that's what I do every single morning. And then after I've done all that, then I grab my notebook and I write down, okay, here's my tasks for today that I'm going to get done. That's pretty much equivalent to mine, except my uh, journal is digital. Yeah, so that's I fair. Control-Shift-J and Dendron, and then it kicks out a journal entry for the day. So cool. I start working. Now, morning routines are not just for work, but also before you start working. Because if your pre-work morning is chaotic, you're starting yourself out in a stressful situation. So my morning routine, I usually wake up uh, about an hour to an hour and a half before I start my work day. Get up, I will read uh, uh, usually scripture of the day and a little devotional on, uh, on my phone go make some coffee, take my dog out. I'll sit outside with him for a little, bo- little bit, play on my phone, that sort of stuff. Just sort of ease my way because I'm not a morning person. Then I'll come back in. By then, the coffee's done. So I'll grab a cup of coffee and I'll sit and read a little bit before actually coming into my office and starting my day. That just sort of helps me sort of ease into morning because I am not a morning person. Now, this morning, I got up got my gym clothes on and went to the gym because I had lunch plans and I wasn't going to go to the gym, which actually was quite nice because I took clothes to change into and went over and sat at Starbucks since I was just reading a book. You know, I had my laptop if anybody needed me, but yeah, I just sat at Starbucks and read a book for the first couple hours of the day. It was quite nice. Yeah, mine's pretty quick. I roll out of bed, take the dog outside, uh, get dressed, uh, get breakfast together. My coffee's uh, set up the night before. And I just, I hit the ground running. Yeah, I used to set up my coffee the night before, but I tend to forget that sometimes. So actually more times than not, because I get busy. Because nighttime is my active time. So yeah, for me, that's, I'm using my inactive time to buy my active time. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
Next, avoid conflict with others as much as possible. You know, conflict wears you down both emotionally and physically, which leads to reduced tolerance for stress and stress-inducing situations. Basically, when you are in conflict, a situation that is mildly stressful becomes moderately to severely stressful. Yeah, just it wears down your resistance. And you know, once you start an argument or a disagreement, it can be really difficult to get out of, which causes even more stress. And it also can cause problems that <laughs> that generate more work for you. It's really better not to initiate or to allow others to pull you into conflict unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, and when it becomes absolutely necessary, be merciless. Now, if possible, try to avoid anyone at work who is known to cause conflict. Like you can't always avoid them, unfortunately. So you may look into learning some conflict management or resolution skills. And uh, we do have an episode on the Kanban for that too. I, I added that one in there. So another thing that will help with stress is find a way to organize your workspace and keep it that way. An organized workspace will prevent you from stressing out when you're under pressure because you're not going to be scrambling around to try to find something in a pile of documents, books, discs, papers, etc. Um, this is not just your physical workspace, but also, and probably more importantly, your virtual one. Uh, so you know, get your desktop and your folders and all that stuff organized as well. You spend more time at your workspace than anywhere else, with the possible exception of your bed. Being able to easily navigate it is important in not getting stressed out when you're already under pressure. I, I can speak to experience with this as my desktop, not my virtual desktop is very clean, but my uh, my workspace, physical workspace, as Will can see, the stacks of papers and stuff. Now, I know what's in every single pile, but I'd probably do better to organize a little more. Um, your time is another area that you can add some organization to. Uh, it may seem counterintuitive at first to spend time organizing your schedule when you're already you know, kind of getting crushed by it. Uh, but if you do this, it will help you avoid unnecessary or unexpected time wasters as well as define out set times to work on things. Like the first thing I do when I start getting overloaded is I start blocking out chunks of my calendar so people can't take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had to do that before too. I'm about to do it again. So, so next... Get up and move around throughout the day. Lots of studies have shown the efficacy of exercise to elevate mood and reduce anxiety, depression, and stress. As developers, we have a very sedentary lifestyle. So we have to make an effort to get up and move around. And we've talked about this in several different episodes. I think we've had episodes on this topic. Yeah. And you know, you, you don't have to go to the gym on your lunch break every day. Like you don't have to be you know, a gym rat, uh, but moving around is going to really help you quite a bit, even if it's just a little bit of motion. Like I periodically go out during the day and I'll do a couple of pull-ups or something. Yeah. Or just, just going out and back out. Yeah. Walking around the neighborhood. Try to take short exercise breaks periodically throughout the day. You can even find desk exercises that you can do right from your home office or cubicle, if you're still going into the office, just to get the blood flowing and help you reduce stress. And it'll be, it's amazing. Like it, it might seem silly at first, but you do that for a week or two and you'll find your stress level is down. Like I go to the gym every day and it has absolutely helped. I used to go on walks at a previous job and I think that was the only reason I was able to stay there as long as I was. Mm -hmm. So 
the last thing uh, that we have for you for uh, helping you to reduce or prevent stress is spend a little time and possibly money to make yourself comfortable. As developers, we sit in chairs and stare at screens all day long. And then if you're a podcaster, you do it all evening long as well. If your work environment is not comfortable, you'll be more on edge and easily stressed. Yeah, you know, we could tolerate mild discomfort for a little while, but over time, we really can't. Like it's almost worse than, you know, bad discomfort over a short period of time. Uh, because you know, your desk is the thing most likely in your office to hurt you or your chair is, you know, like your work environment is really dangerous if you're not careful. Spend some time making your work environment comfortable. Try a few different configurations out until you have the most comfortable setup for you. If you work from home, spend a little money on nice, comfortable equipment. Like I, I think I talked about it a few months ago when I bought this chair, but you know, I spent about $600 on a chair, but I sit, I sit in this chair all day long and sometimes all evening long. And it is an extremely comfortable chair. Like I can, I can sit here all day long and my legs don't fall asleep. I don't get uncomfortable. I can adjust it if I need to, to make myself even more comfortable. So guys, this is just an overview of how work can affect a developer's stress level. Each category highlights a few of the more common aspects of work-related stress. There are many more stressors that developers face on a daily basis, but the five mentioned here are kind of the most common that are seen across development shops. Be on the lookout for them, especially as you attempt to deal with demands at your job to make sure that you aren't sabotaging your own mental health in an attempt to make things better. Take a hard look at your employer and ask if they're doing things that mitigate or exacerbate the stress levels of you and your fellow developers. If they exacerbate, then look for ways you can affect change. It's likely, or edit, it's not likely that a single employer will be all one or all the other. More than likely, they will be a mix of good and bad ways of dealing with stress. Use this information to help guide your employer to better choices in how to help developers underload, better deal with their stress. That pretty much wraps it up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I'm also going to kind of say something that sounds like it goes against the rest of this episode, but it actually doesn't. And that is that some degree of stress is good for you. It just needs to be the right kind of stress, right? This would be more like a challenge. This would be more like short-term stress, uh, more like what you get when you're learning and you're growing. Uh, You don't want to go through life trying to avoid stress, uh, first of all, because that's actually impossible. But second of all, because if you try to avoid all stress, what ends up happening is, is that the stress ends up being in an area that you didn't pick. So find something that exhilarates you, that pushes you, that's that puts you under a stress that makes you grow versus allowing stress to come to you in ways that you don't want. And that's probably a more healthy way to look at it. And without getting into you know too many specifics, if you just kind of keep that mindset, you'll find those things. That's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. 
Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.